What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I created a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a new idea, project, or business that you're working on and you're feeling a little bit stuck, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. And today's guest is definitely somebody that can help you on your side hustle, a new business, your corporate job. He basically does everything and anything in terms of speaking, podcasting, entrepreneurship, He's the man that you want to talk to, Mr. Moby Hyatt. And today we're going to start off just like how we always start off and get right into it. Moby, unfortunately, has lost his job due to COVID-19. So let's just kick it off right there. There's probably a lot of other people out there that are A, either in fear of losing your job or B, have had that happen to them. So I'd love to hear a little bit more of your story, how that happened and how you're taking that news. Yeah, dude. Uh, First off, I appreciate you having me on here. Let's kick it with this story. So I used to work at a startup accelerator, managing the whole accelerator, right? And uh, the company had a co-working space, the company had events, the company had the accelerator. COVID-19 happened, Satpai got canceled. So that was like a million plus in revenue just out of the gate. Everything in Q2 and Q3 got canceled. So events and sponsorship, gone. And then the co-working business is effectively dead in the water right now because no one wants to sit next to each other. And because of that, on one call, half of the company got furloughed, which is a nice way to say laid off and goodbye in one go. I got an email saying your position has been effectively furloughed. And then I lost access to my email, everything. And it was like, goodbye, boom. So what day was this? This was Wednesday morning on maybe... Actually, I can tell you the exact date if you want. Do you want the exact date? Yeah, let's see. Let's see. So today is uh, what April twenty fourth. So what was the exact date of all this? Oh my god, that was the twenty fifth, I think, of March. So not even a month. Wow. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, South by Southwest is a huge startup music. I don't even really know what to call it because it's so much to to so many <laughs> different types of people. Um, but so many businesses large and small lost revenue during that, including the accelerator that Moby was a part of. But unfortunately, that led obviously to a trickle effect of everybody else having to kind of recluse and see where they had to cut. And unfortunately, Moby, you were one of those people that they had to cut, but you've been taking it fairly well compared to most people. What was your immediate reaction when you got quote unquote furloughed? (laughs) I got that email. I remember staring at it. And the first thing was shock. And then 10 seconds later, I went into my uh, finances sheet. For some reason, I call it fuck you money, even though I don't have fuck you money. And then I just basically cut, cut, cut. I cut my expenses right away. I was like, I need to make sure that whatever happens, I'm okay. So I cut my expenses with the first 20 minutes. I walked down to my apartment management office. And I said, hey, I've been furloughed. I don't know what's next, but I just want to let you know. If I need to work with you and make a payment plan, I will. Then I got back up and I sat down and thought, okay, what next? And I kind of kept quiet, even though I just made a video about it. And I waited 24 hours before posting so I could tell my parents. And from that, all of this started in less than a month. It's been less than a month, but it feels so far. It's probably the best thing that happened to me, honestly, this year. Yeah. That's amazing. And, And we'll get into what Moby's been doing since, but I'd love to dig in a little bit about how you even ended up at that startup accelerator in the first place. Because for those that don't know, Moby and I are good friends. He 
apparently you just told me I've been the only person that's been on two of your panels, um, speaking panels. <laughs> that's true. So um, I'm very grateful for that. But Moby has been an inspiration because he's been living in the corporate space and hustling to get his green card. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that entire journey, maybe where you grew up, how you got to the US. And yeah, we'll just start from there. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, you are the only one who's ever made it to my panels. Nice. And now the summit too. Uh, so I was born and raised in Lahore, Pakistan. I spent 18, 19 years of my life there, the first ones. Went to a really old British school because that's what my dad wanted for me. I was in the same school for 12 years, middle, elementary, high school. It was an all-boys school, sort of cadet style. We had houses like Harry Potter. So I grew up with the same 100 to 150 people for 12 years. Not much changing. You weren't wearing a uniform every day, wearing ties in the winter, having to wear coats and scarves and discipline was a big thing in it. But the goal for my life by my parents was, hey, you're going to be a doctor. And I said, okay. And I studied sciences in high school so I could go to med school right after because back home, you can go from high school to a much longer med school right away. So I went through high school and then I was supposed to take the MCAT and I realized a month before the MCAT, I took the exam for the number one medical school in the country and I didn't even study for it. That's how much I cared for it. I mean, I completely failed, completely. I realized that I did not care about this. I had no motivation to be a doctor and I basically started having these conversations with my parents, very tense conversations, to be honest. But hey, this is not what I want to do with my life. I, I don't know what I want to do. They're like, okay, we looked at a few options. I applied to one university in Pakistan, didn't get in. They said, okay. They said, we think you should apply to the US and go study there because the education system is great. And I applied. I picked a random major, economics, because it looked familiar. And then I just flew to the US. My parents dropped me off. They, they flew in with me <laughs> <laughs> to drop off their son to a new country at 18. Where'd they drop you off at? We landed in Dallas. I remember coming out and thinking, wow, this place is cold. <laughs> it wasn't that cold. But two three days later, they dropped me off at the dorm at UT and said, well, goodbye. <laughs> and all, all is history. All is all history, man. Yeah, that is awesome. So you're literally in a different world because there's probably a lot of people that can't even point out Pakistan on a map, mm -hmm. uh, if we were to put it there, like in a different world from from the US. And you've grown up with 150 of the same people for your life. Were you nervous at all coming over here? I think it's that thing of youth, right? Everything's just new and exciting. And there's a little bit of doubt and fear, but it was also like, well, People have done this. My friends were going to college in the U.S. People, my some of my family had gone there. I was nervous, but I was also super excited. I actually, I got there maybe on a Monday. My parents dropped me off Monday morning. Monday night, I took a bus to try to get into a club at Monday night at like 19. That was my first foray into America. I'm like, I have to go to a club. I couldn't get in, obviously, but I was excited as hell, actually. Nervous, but excited as hell. Yeah, that's awesome, man, to be 19 again. It's <laughs> the, the world, your eyes just light up to everything that you're doing. How did you stumble upon UT? Like, is it well known outside of the US or 
Cause I have no, no idea. I grew up in New Jersey and mm-hmm. I never even heard of Austin, like really. And I, I live in the U S and if you would have pinpointed, yeah, you're going to end up in Texas one day, CJ, I would have laughed in your face. So yeah. how did you even land in Texas in the first place? Dude, kind of weird luck. Cause I had taken half a gap year uh, to figure out this whole, I'm not doing the MCAT stuff back home. And I applied for the spring semester and only public universities take in international students in the spring semester. So I had only a few options. I applied to about five colleges, Ann Arbor, UMass, UT. I'd heard of UT because one of my friend's brothers went here. I was like, oh, I've heard of it. Short, whatever. Texas, Austin. Cool. Don't know Austin at all, but I'll apply. I actually got into Purdue and applied for a visa. And then I found UT's acceptance letter in my junk email. And I got my visa switched and came to Austin. I have no idea why. I just heard it was better. And I had never been to Texas. I knew nothing about Texas. I knew nothing about Austin. I'm like, what is this place? But I'm going to go. Sure, it's going to be a small town. And 10 years later, I realized I'm probably going to die in Austin. I love it. That's awesome. And if you thought Dallas was cold when you landed, good thing you didn't pick any of those other schools because those are way colder. (laughs) One of the reasons that I left the Northeast was to get out of the cold. But that's awesome. For all the listeners, you're going to kind of see a recurring theme from the people that we have on here, a lot of people are just end up moving or starting new things without actually having any knowledge or experience of those things in the past. And I think Moby does an amazing job of representing how it doesn't really matter what you know or don't know, but as long as you're willing to take that step off the edge and just believe in yourself and try, you can literally achieve anything. So I'd love to pivot this into, okay, you went to UT, obviously you graduated, got your degree. But where the fuck in all of this did entrepreneurship kind of become a thing for you? You were completely going to med school and then, yeah, yeah, hard pivot into, okay, now I'm flying to the US, but where does entrepreneurship play in all of this? Yeah. So I I was never good at college. Like I just couldn't play that system. I was bad at it. Uh, There were only a few classes which were super creative. Define bad. I could not study. I was almost, I was failing classes. I did not have the motivation to go to classes. I almost got expelled because I faked doctor's notes so that I could skip class. Literally. I didn't care that much. I almost got expelled. I got a call from their department head at 10 p.m. on a Thursday saying, I'm going to get you kicked out of the university because you faked doctor's notes. That's how much I didn't really care about whatever. And that was stressful, but they let me go, which is super nice of them. (laughs) Otherwise, I would have been kicked out of the country. I wasn't good at it too. It didn't make me feel competent because I wasn't getting good grades. Everyone else seemed to be doing well. Everybody else seemed to be, seemed to know, okay, I want to do finance. I want to be an investment banker. Turns out that's all BS. But I was in class one day and I thought I've been helping people with their college essays for like two, three years. I could create a business around it. Oh yeah, I'm good at it. Right. That was the first thing that came. I went to an advisor. I was like, hey, I want to do this. They're like, yeah, go do this. But I went into the international office at UT, just walked up the street on 24th and Oasis for anybody who's in Austin right now. And they basically told me that's illegal for you to do. You cannot have a business in the US on a student visa. They said, no, you cannot legally take any money outside of campus. So I did something that's been a theme for my life in my life for a while, which is I built it for free. I built that service to help high school students with their college essays 
for free. I was pumped. And that feeling that I got when I could build something, put it out there, maybe get feedback, but just build something. That rush, that feeling of competence, that feeling of achievement has just been amazing. And that's the hook that got me, which is, oh my God, I built this and I can build more things outside of a system that I do really bad in. That's amazing. How old were you when this was all happening? Probably 20 or 21. That's awesome. So I I was just reading Richard Branson, one of his books. And before Virgin, he started something called Student, which was like a magazine, yeah, student magazine. And he had all these ideas to help other college students. So it's, it's kind of funny because it relates a lot in what you were trying to do is help a younger generation and help the people around you. And I think that's the easiest segue for people to get into is solving problems for the people around you, what's happening in your, in your own life. And not only were you solving that problem for potentially those up and coming students, but for yourself, because you're operating in the system that necessarily wasn't working for you, but against you. Now I know your story and I know that that also tends to be a theme for the next like (laughs) years of your life. Yeah. So, I mean, you eventually, did you graduate? I had to graduate because if I didn't, I would have been forced to leave the country. So I did graduate somehow. And I actually went to grad school too. Somehow I got into grad school later on too. Honestly, grad school, you want the honest answer? I hope they don't listen. I went to grad school to pass the time until I got my green card and learn something and get a bump on my green card application. I'm not kidding. Hey, the first way towards winning the game is understanding the rules of the game. And there's so many people out there right now that don't take the time to really effectively learn the rules and what they can be doing to not trick the system, but basically hack the system in their favor. And you certainly did that. But what did you go to grad school for? Uh, So after college, I started working at Dell. I took the first job that I got, like the first offer, because I was like, they're going to sponsor me as a student, give me a visa. That doesn't usually happen. Maybe one out of three international students, if they're lucky, get a job and can stay. So I took the first job and I was working in IT program management, project management. And I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship as I was building a podcast and making content. But I went to grad school for technology commercialization, which is basically entrepreneurship, maybe. But it, it was cool. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> We'll leave it at that. So how long were you at Dell? I know that from the things that I've seen, you were there for a little bit and you were building things on the side, but from the beginning to the end, how long were you actually in your role there? I was there from June, 2014 to November, 2019, five years. Five years. Wow. Five years out of which 2018, 2019 were probably the worst for me because I know a lot of your listeners are these people working jobs and they're building side hustles and they're building something they want to get out of something they're not sure they like. And I was in that position too at Dell. I wanted to start a business in 2014 when I was 24 maybe. And I was told by the government again, hey, you can't start a business. It's, it's not happening. It's illegal for you to start a business outside of your day job. And so From 2014 to 2019, I built podcasts, hosted events, live stream for people, pitch people to win about $750,000 in pitch money for free. And I couldn't get out because if I did get out of Dell, it would reset my green process. I know you've been, you've left the corporate arena for a bit and that feeling that you're stuck 
it's either because you can't leave because I couldn't leave or the fact that you have golden handcuffs and your lifestyle can't, you can't afford a lifestyle that you have because if you go out and become a freelancer or entrepreneur, you can't pay for your life. That's real. And that gets to you. So I'm really, really happy I got out of it. So happy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a testament because the other thing that I try to portray is a lot of people think I'm like so against the corporate world and, and things like that. It's not actually the case. I had no choice but to go as well. And like my golden handcuffs were student debt. So I had to yeah. go there. But one of the things is like it taught me so much about what I didn't like and what I didn't want, mm. but it also gave me the skills to use today in a lot of the projects that I'm working on. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that experience. And that's why I'm always trying to convey like leverage yourself in that corporate space to understand more about yourself. Because again, like that safety net and having insurance and being able to pay down your student loans, like that is super important because if you can do that, and then once you jump ship, operate freely in the entrepreneurial space, you're going to have more success. So I'd love to ask you that question of like, what are some of the skills that you actually picked up at Dell or along the course of that, that are helping you right now? Because there's this thing where it's like, ah, oh, fuck the corporate world. People put it down. And I know like, if you watch my content, it seems like that, but I'm just against how the culture is in corporations where they're not fun to be in and they're, it's very stagnant and not innovative. Um, that's what I have against it, but there's a lot of good things that you can learn from it. So I'd love to maybe hear a couple tips from, from you on what has helped you from your past into what you're doing today. Absolutely, man. Great question. I, I agree with you. Pros and cons, right? One of the pros is, so I worked at Dell, which is, I don't know, a $60 billion company. I think that was when I, that was the size of it when I left. And the scale of it in terms of revenue, the management that needs to go in, logistics, uh, communication, and people management is unreal. You learn to do things at a scale that you would not get into your startup for a bit. At one point, I was managing the entire engineering regulatory program for Dell across 11 factories, had like 25 people that would indirectly report up to me. And I would be on these calls with China, Singapore, Malaysia, Poland, India. And I was like, and I don't know how to do this. I've only been working three years. Corporate America gives you this chance to be a cog in a system, but a system which is so huge that you're like, oh, I have to learn how to communicate to people who might be 20 years older than me, but they have to give me data or they have to report certain metrics to me. I have to sell an idea to my executive director and I'm younger than their child. I've literally had that comment once. Oh, you're younger than my daughter. I'm like, okay, cool. And you just have to be in these high stress environments that if that, if you fail, it's not just, oh, you lose 500 bucks. No, you lose 500,000 bucks for the business. And it's interesting being a cog in that huge machine and be able to run it. So it helps you, I think, run operations really well and understand processes at a big scale because yes, a startup has to be fast. Something entrepreneurial has speed in it. It's innovative, it's adaptive. But structure and process, learning that from a corporation is extremely important. I know you're a processes guy. What I learned from Dell was like processes matter, documentations matter, and they help you scale up. 
there's times for that, but I found that to be super helpful to think of everything as a structure and a machine that could run a certain way. Yeah. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It's just like people management. Like it, it is so much harder to manage people than it is a system. Because if you build a system, there's less variables because the system doesn't get sick. Like (laughs) a simple system would be like sending out automated Instagram posts, right? Like I write my captions and then I put them into later.com and it automatically for the month gets pushed out, right? But if I were to send that to a person to then push that out, well, what if they got sick or what if something happened? There's so many variables, the more that you bring people into the mix. And that's really where like, I love what you got from it, your pro from it. Cause that was the same thing for me. I was Mm -hmm. managing projects from coast to coast in IT upwards of a million dollars in infrastructure. And like what that taught me to do is be slow as smooth, smooth as fast mentality of over communicating, over understanding what people are doing, why they're doing it so that I can kind of see the future a little bit and basically make sure that I was on time with my projects. Because if every day counts, like in a world like that, if you're a day late, that could be hundred thousand dollars versus in the startup world when we're bootstrapping, like you don't really feel that one day to the next day is like, oh, we're still not making money. Oh, I'm still eating ramen, right? Like, (laughs) but in your head, you know that the way that you get to that next point is through the documentation and processes. And those play a part in allowing you to bring people in so they can execute efficiently. And so you got your green card, you're working at Dell, you quit that, jumped into the accelerator, and then obviously COVID-19 <laughs> hit and Moby's now out on the street. So start us from there, March 25th, it happens. And then what was the next immediate thing that you did that had nothing to do with sulking over you losing your job? <laughs> Absolutely. And to add a little bit of context before that, in January, we hosted a microconference because I since I got the green card, I was trying to make some money on the side, like do a side hustle. So I had an online course, hosted a few workshops and had a micro conference in January. And somebody told me I should try to coach. So I coached six, seven people for free, like one hour sessions. And I got into coaching as a side hustle while working the job before March, 2020. And I was just reading books about business opportunities and marketing and referrals. And one book was really set the stage for me called Surge. It was just about recognizing trends in the market and riding that wave because waves start and they end. And it's like a video going viral by a brand. You have a viral video, if you do, and you jump that and you get some subscribers or some email signups, and then you try to make another one, which works for you. A lot of companies do that. They ride waves. And so when generally COVID happened, I was like, oh, this move to Verso is super interesting. And I've been working in it. Cool, 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 cool. But I still had a job. When COVID hit, I got laid off. I made a video about it because I was like, I need to document and show people the journey of me building a business over time because that was still in the plans. But I made that video. I got a few inbound things and somebody said, hey, can you help me with my online summit? Like I'm building one. Do you want to jump on? I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to do an online summit. I got on the phone with him maybe Thursday night or Friday night at like 10 p.m. He showed me his website and two things clicked. Number one, this online summit idea is like the pinnacle of the surge happening right now. 
it's the perfect time to do it. People are at home, people can't go anywhere, and they're looking to solve their problems. That recognition. And second thing, hey, I have time right now. Like, I did not have the courage before or the savings set up to quit my job anytime before to build a business. And though those two things combined in my head to be like, okay, we are going to host a summit. I'm not going to look for a job. Let's do it. And because I'd hosted conferences and had an online course, and I actually planned a summit a year ago, I just looked at my list and emailed a bunch of people saying, hey, set up some time with me next week. I'd love to get you involved. And we started the next day after talking to my business partner. We were like, okay, we know the platform. We don't know the date. We don't know the name. We don't know the subject, but we have a general idea. Let's make it as we market it and get people to buy into it. That's awesome. And I love how you said you were starting to coach for free. I literally just posted on my Instagram story this morning how to start a side hustle mm -hmm. because you had that income coming from somewhere else. Produce something, either a service or a product, and give it out for free to test. And then basically you earn the trust of those people. And once you earn their trust, you can then ask them for criticisms, critiques, feedback, iterate, and then also ask them for testimonials and referrals to then get you to that second layer where you're getting paid. And even when you get to that second layer, it's charge them a little bit less to basically get them into your funnel, understand even more about that market. And for me, I've done this time and time again to see if the wave is really big enough to ride into basically the shore that I want to. Because mm -hmm. you know how like when you're out on the beach, you can catch that little wave and the, the big wave comes right after it. And you're like, fuck, why did I just get on my boogie board for this one when I should have waited, right? So this is the beauty of side hustles is you can start a couple all at one time and see which wave hits and go with that wave. And then also compounding waves, which is something you've been amazing at where it's like, you're hosting panels, you're, you have a podcast, you're hosting conferences, you're, you're networking, you're doing different things in this space to kind of see. One thing you do really great is your, your content is so good and different and fun. To be able to do that on top of that and document, that was one of the keywords from what you just said, being able to document that process so other people can then replicate it. That's where that takes years of doing before it finally catches that big wave. And you've been awesome at it for the previous years, but how kind of are you utilizing your past skills into this new summit and this new territory? So you lost your job, you talked to your business partner, Austin, lay the foundation for us of what your first steps were. Because I, I found when I work with my clients and when I'm coaching, yeah. the biggest problem for people is like, what do I do next? If you kind of paint the picture for them and what to do, they're very good at executing. But when you have 70 different things that you need to do for this summit, how do you line those all up and then start getting them done? A, a great, great question, dude. Because there's a lot, right? For any event, any workshop, anything you're hosting, which has multiple people involved, it's just a lot of moving pieces. And I think about for the event, the core pieces, getting them right manifests itself in you having a Facebook event for it. So I try to reverse engineer the Facebook event. What's the title? What are the times? Who are the speaker? And where is it going to be? Whether that's physical or online. We knew the platform we were going to use. I had 40 people in mind for speakers. I had a general idea of the topic. I had a general idea of the title. And so we just started hitting up people right away. Like, hey, we're doing this. 
do you want to be a speaker? Hop on a call with me. And side by side, we got feedback on the topic. It changed a lot. Like our messaging changed a lot for the first two weeks because it started off by the title being, oh shit, COVID-19 happened. Now what? And I had 20, 25 people give feedback on it that I trusted. And it's slowly and painfully, like it's a painful process to change something that you're building while you're promoting it, while you're talking about it, because it makes you think what I had before wasn't that great. I need to change it. So we started off by shopping the idea while we were building it, by putting the speakers on, deciding the tracks, deciding the time, and deciding the sessions. We're like, once we have that in, and that took two weeks, but it was so iterative that at the end of those two weeks, we had 50 people, 45 people confirmed because we were doing both at the same time. My head hurt because I was on probably 10 to 15 calls easily a day for two weeks, just getting people to be like, hey, yeah, I'm interested. Oh yeah, have you talked to this person, this person, this person? We were all documenting that in Excel. So on a high level, it was figuring out what pieces we needed to make that Facebook event and put the event live on Hey Summit, getting the speakers and then trusting ourselves to be competent enough to pick up the things that fall through the cracks and the smaller things. So we just focus on the big things and reverse engineered from there. Awesome. And when you were running through all of this in your mind, what was the initial problem that you were trying to solve? Because I know that's how your mind works and how you were driven is to help provide value to other people. So when you initially thought of this compared to like what it is now, has that value proposition changed? Has that problem changed or was it, has it stayed the same over the past month? We got more specific on the problem. Our first problem was the impact of COVID-19. And that's a very high level, huge problem. And we were trying to solve it for businesses, for individuals and startups. So what would funding look like? What's the future of work? How do online business models work? How to market during a crisis? Getting help from the government, organizations and resources that can help you during this time. It was everywhere. And what we over time did was we narrowed down by, okay, we're going to focus on businesses instead of individuals. What are their problems? Their problems are they took a huge loss in revenue. There would have been layoffs, budget cuts, furloughs, uh, just huge loss in clients. And one thing came in my mind. I was in a, I think you were on a different mastermind with uh, Zach from Live a Great Story. I was in the other one and somebody said, business is doing really well right now. We just have to think about our worker safety and how to plan for it. And I picked up on that. And I don't know if it was confirmation bias, but I looked around at other people who I knew were doing online stuff. It seemed that they were still crushing it. And I thought, well, if people have the problem of loss in revenue because their business models don't work and shelter in place, there's people whose business models work really well right now. What if we match them together and our solution to this problem of the impact of COVID-19 is bringing to light online business models and online customer acquisition that I know some people are using to crush it right now. That's awesome. And so it started off with a... 25, 30 speakers, what are we at right now? And what are those four tracks? Because I know that you basically thought of this big problem. We're like, okay, we can't solve this entire problem for the entirety 
of the world, obviously, but we can narrow it down to businesses that are crushing it right now and then help other businesses that might be struggling. Yeah. But obviously that can even be broken down into a couple different lanes. So what are those lanes and who are those people that best would fit in those lanes to show up for this conference? Absolutely. So we had this conversation when we were like, okay, we want to actually my business partner, Austin made me sit down after two and a half weeks of me talking to 30 people, well, probably 40, 50 people a week about this and made me do a lean business model canvas. I know you're a fan of tools. He made that and it hurt my head. It really did. I was frustrated <laughs> at him. I was like, dude, I have this in my head. He's like, no, let's do it. Map it and out, baby. Mind maps. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I was just so flustered in that conversation, but he made me do it. And I'm glad he did because we looked at it and said, we don't have to have 12 tracks because we had 12, 12 tracks in the start. We're like the simplest way to get people to the outcome that we want, which is knowing what they should do next when it comes to building digital revenue. Number one, how do online first business models work, which is day one of the summit. Number two, how do I get customers online for those business models, which is day two. And day three is how are people currently pivoting that I can learn from, even if they're in my industry or not. And day four is, and this is not specifically for digital, but it is how do you adapt to an unknown future as a business? We're like, if we give those people these four things, that will be enough. And I had a bunch of speakers in mind. We also uh, realized that we're doing something huge and a lot of work is going into it and I don't want to be the sole marketer for it. So instead of limiting at 20 people, I wanted a lot of speakers. Uh, the original goal was like 40, 45, so that we could have affiliates and other people promoting it because I didn't want to be the only person on top of a mountain saying, hey, come to my summit. So well, you'll probably make fun of me because of scope creep. But if I look at it all, we currently have uh, 66 speakers. Yeah. And that's gone up since I've been on board by like 16 to 20 already. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're about, what are we, two and a half weeks out? So we're 19 days out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 19 or 20 days out, but no, that's awesome. And for anybody listening the way that kind of Moby broke that down is you can utilize that in any project or idea you ever have. I love, because I was just reading this in a book, I love how you focused on the marketing aspect first rather than the actual intangibles of it. And I think this is something that a lot of people don't do because they get caught up in the nitty gritty of their idea of what's going to be in the summit, what's this product going to do, and what little things can I put on it to make it flashy? But you thought in reverse engineer down to like, how do I get this thing out there? Because if I can't get it out there, it doesn't even matter if I build something that's really good. Because if I build something that's really good and I have no way of really marketing it or getting it to the right type of client or customer, it's going to die dead in the water anyway. So you kind of, you did exactly what we do at Thrive, which is more so on the branding and the outside of marketing with people and understanding what it is that they need so that once we go to actually build the thing, we have these channels to distribute it to. Mm -hmm. So going back away from the summit, you were able to connect with, you're talking, you're having 15 calls a day 
what are some tips and tricks for those listening to get those 40 people in the first place, get their phone numbers and actually have those relationships? You've ran events in the past, but where did that all come from? Great question. So first off, the way to do, and you'll probably like this, CJ, the the way to do this is to systemize it. If you're going to have a bunch of calls or connect with a bunch of people, which is amazing for just relationships, feeling part of a community, business development, systemize the hell out of it. Do not ever ask somebody, hey, I'm available Tuesday at this time, Wednesday at this time. Does this work for you? No. Make a Calendly link so that people can view your calendar and they can just pick times. And for me, I usually have times open 12 p.m. onwards. What I did was I reached out to a lot of people that I wanted to connect with, that I just knew, hey, I want to be on, I want to have them on it. And then I talked about it uh, kind of like, not in a salesy way, but just like, hey, we're doing this summit. I posted that in Facebook groups. I posted on Instagram. I'm like, who would like to speak? Connect with me. Here's my link. And then as we were thinking about it on LinkedIn, I would post updates. Ooh, we have this idea. Who wants to jump in? Ooh, we have the topics. What do you think? Oh, by the way, this is what we think the focus is. Oh, this is the platform we're looking at giving them updates so that people who are interested in what we're building, they're like, they can self-select and look our, at our content, whether they know me or not, and say, oh, that sounds interesting. I would love to jump in. Being public about that process allows you to give updates to people who can self-select and say, yeah, following this person and their journey and their business, I want to do that versus this person is a dumbass. Because people probably look at me and think I'm a dumbass and that's okay because that's not my market. But it's honestly making content as you build something, not coming off as preachy and just being like, hey, this is our journey. It's literally reality TV for businesses. And somebody saw that, that I didn't even know, commented, set up a time with me, canceled, rescheduled. I got on a call with them. They introduced me to one of the biggest media groups in Houston. And now we have an affiliate partnership with him just because this person reached out because I made a video about, hey, we're doing this, who wants to jump in, etc. So make content throughout the journey. And one thing, the epiphany which came out of this was when I got my green card, that was after a year of me openly saying, this sucks, this sucks, and I'm waiting for it, and I'm waiting for it. I posted the photo of the green card without identifying markings. Somebody commented and said, oh, thank God that soap opera is over. And I realized I had made people feel invested in my journey just a little bit, not saying I'm special, but the people who know me, who care about me, they were invested in that green card journey and they thought it was a soap opera. If I can make a soap opera off building a business and telling that story, that will get people hooked. So much gold right there. So I hope all of you whipped out your notepad for that because there's so many ways I can go with this combo just from all the pointers that you're distributing right there. But the one thing that I wanted to kind of dig into is the documentation portion of it, of throw it out there, even though you maybe not know if it's good, bad, indifferent. The reason being is the way that I think about it, and I always use analogies so people that maybe aren't in the business world can kind of understand is like you go to an ice cream shop Mm -hmm. and if they're only marketing chocolate, but they have vanilla, 
rainbow, they have sprinkles, they have those things in their store, but they're not marketing it. You're not going to view them the same way as if they have all these different flavors, right? So you're not, mm-hmm. you're not going to go back to that store. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm not feeling chocolate today. Right. But for you, like, especially with the four different tracks, if you were to like blast this summit and you're like, here's what we're trying to do, but you don't document every single day. Okay. We thought of a new track that gives the opportunity for those people, just like you said, to decide for themselves, okay, that's my track. This is something that I'm interested in now. But if you had just made this like kind of blanket statement, oh, we're doing this online summit and you keep blasting the summit, nobody's really attracted to that because if you're blasting chocolate and you have people that love vanilla, like Mm -hmm. it's not going to hit, they're not going to come to your store. But if one day you're like, hey, we got this offer on chocolate, Okay, cool. Everyone that's chocolate comes. Hey, this next day we got vanilla. Okay. These people decide, okay, I want vanilla today. I'm going to come. And then you keep going down the chain and literally you're just documenting that process because I think a lot of people, they hear Gary Vee talk about document, document, and they still don't understand what document actually means. It's when you come up with an idea and you create something, literally just talk about it and put it out there. There's no script. There's nothing like you're not trying to sell anything. You're just saying, Hey, this is what I did today. And then allowing the person to decide for themselves whether or not they want to choose that. So this is where, unfortunately, we're going to start wrapping up pretty soon. But I would love to understand more from your scope. Who would you love to come to this summit? Like, who is this truly for? So that way, if they hear this, it's like, okay, I'm going to get some extreme value out of this. And most importantly, what I want to convey is Moby is a master networker. And this summit, if anything, gives you the opportunity to see right now 66 people speak, but they're all at home digitally right now. If they say something or have a product or service that hits home with you, you can get in contact with them and grow your Mm -hmm. own network and your own thing. So it's above and beyond just hearing people speak about whatever it is. It's more so about that connection and you connecting with those other people But I'd love to hear you, Moby, talk a little bit about who would be the perfect person to kind of connect with the people speaking at this event. Absolutely. This is for somebody who's either building a side hustle or a business, and they've relied on in-person networking and referrals to get more customers, maybe get connected to investors, maybe get uh, more clients. We can't meet people right now. I don't know what the new normal is going to look like or when it's going to come or when people are going to sit down in places and have a meal, like 20 people having a meal together. We just aren't going to congregate for a bit. And what's going to happen is people who have their businesses digitally, they can deliver digitally. They can create something and deliver value at high margins digitally. They're going to keep winning and they're going to get customers. This is for people who are like, I've got something of value to give to people and I can deliver all of it or part of it via the internet. And I want to get customers online, either through social, through ads, through marketing campaigns, through email marketing. This is what I want to do. That combination of somebody who's like, I want to make something digital and I want to sell it and get customers via the internet. That's what we're going to do. We're all about digital customer acquisition and products. And you want to help those people win. Honestly, there's, I mean, I want to win. I want to make money, but there's something about if I didn't want to help other people, I wouldn't be in the US. I'd be back home just chilling out and eating a lot of food. So there's something about 
building something for other people and helping them win, which is super interesting and keeps me going during this time. I love that. And I mean, that's why you and I connect so much with, yeah. with, with thrive. Like we build, like help other mission-based people, brands and businesses thrive. Right. I get off more on seeing other people win than even my own business. I don't know why that is, but I think it, it parlays into a little bit of psychology of if I can do it myself, that's one thing. But if I can help somebody else build the confidence, like you started building your confidence and then they then help other people, like your ability to have massive impact. And that's really what I think from this summit you're after and what I'm after. And the last question I really want to ask you is in two weeks, this episode is going to drop. It'll be uh, May 7th. The summit starts May 11th. On May 7th, what what do you hope leading up to the, the last few days before the summit, what do you hope to accomplish with this summit? Like what outcome were you looking for with this? Because obviously it changes every single day with new speakers and new sponsors and our, our energy and our attention gets pulled in so many different directions. But put yourself in May 7th shoes and we're three days out pretty much from this summit. What do you hope to say that like, this is what we've done so far? Yeah, great question. Honestly, I, I don't have super high expectations of how much money we're going to make, but I would be super pleased, extremely happy if two things happened. Number one, we made enough to bankroll ourselves for a little bit. I don't really care about making money for myself and putting money in my pocket right now. It's the bankrolling the business, paying out the people that really helped this make this possible. And second, learning enough from it so that if I can figure out how to use this as part of a laser-focused marketing strategy to get CMOs and CEOs involved in something we do and have them as clients, that would be amazing. Because we're probably going to turn around and do this in three months. I just want those two things to happen. I'm like, that was a dope success because I can get consulting out of this. I can figure out how to target individuals with certain titles on LinkedIn and get them to come to this summit. And if I'm able to bankroll this summit and the next three months, I'd be like, that's amazing. Maybe I should have higher goals, <laughs> but we've also got an army of affiliates, so I'm not too worried. And I'm, I'm really happy that we got to do this with so many amazing people. In retrospect, I might've had it smaller because the logistics of managing about 65 plus speakers is interesting, but I think we're going to get there and I'm super pumped to be doing it with the team, with you, with Austin. I'm just pumped about it. I'm like, dude, I'm so glad we did this. I'm honestly happy at this time with where we are too. That's awesome. And yeah, bankroll, people that might not understand that is obviously Moby and Austin have had to invest their time, money, and energy into getting this off the ground and having to invest in other teams and other people such as the Thrive team to help them move it along. So by bankroll, what he really means is at the end of this, hopefully we sell enough tickets where everybody can then at least break even and this whole experience is left as a fond memory and hopefully potentially leads to future business and future work. And that's really where I want to applaud you because your head is in the space of, man, if you were able to do this summit again, you're putting people to work even during a time of crisis. And that's something that 
over the past month or two, like I've been wringing my head on like, what is, what is Thrive's mission now? Like it used to be, we throw events, we, we teach, we educate, we do all these things that include like gathering people, um, and then consulting with our clients, mm-hmm. but it just feels not shady, but it doesn't feel right in this time. But to me, what feels right is like, how can I build something to then maybe pay someone's mortgage for the month or help them level themselves up through their craft? And really that's where your head is at. So I can't do it enough to applaud you and just thank you for for allowing our team to come in and, and help where we can. And I'm super excited for when this drops on May 7th. For everybody, you can go get a ticket at onlinefirstsummit.com. But Moby, where can they find and connect with you? Absolutely. The best place to do that is Instagram. And my hashtag, my hashtag, my username is not that Moby because I'm not the DJ. And I just think it's funny. That's probably going to be my personal website too, notthatmoby.com. And yeah, check out The Fire Show, which is my podcast about entrepreneurship and just how people built their businesses. But hit me up on Instagram. I don't know, curse at me, watch some videos and have fun. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to hop on this. I know you're super, super swamped right now, trying to engage with all the speakers, get the affiliates, the sponsorships and get this thing rolling. Uh, So again, on the behalf of myself and my team, appreciate you reaching out. For all the listeners out there, I highly recommend connecting with him on Instagram at not that Moby spelled not that and then M O B Y super good connection provides super valuable advice through all his content. And the one thing that I love about him, which I'm not necessarily good at, I do not thrive in being funny and uh, (laughs) comedic uh, with some comedic relief. And he made me do a little script for our last video, which was actually kind of fun. So I just want to thank you for kind of like showing me the lighter side of creating content because it's something that I need to get better at and I'm going to strive to do better at. So definitely follow him there. And then if there's one thing that you can do for us here at Thrive on Life, it's Subscribe to this podcast and give us either a review or five stars. It helps more than you know. And again, on behalf of my team, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all.